I'm your host, Louis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. And we're sure glad you took some time out to listen to us this morning. That's it. This being our first show of the year. First live show of 2016. There you go. Oh, well, we're ready. Probably saying 15 for next oh, three months. You know that. <laughs> I mean, you're going to write it at least 18 times before that, your mind remembers that. That used to be a big, big issue, particularly like writing checks and all. Oh, yeah. But of course, people don't write checks very much anymore. Everything's credit cards now. Exactly. The few checks we write written on a computer and it automatically puts a date. <laughs> we don't have a bigger issue with that, but I'm sure we'll be saying oh, I, 15 I'm for a sure. while. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. Just changed. This morning I was thinking, and New Year's is a time where a lot of people make resolutions. Sure. One kind or another. And I thought that we talked just a little bit about folks who make resolutions. One thing I think a worthwhile resolution is to kind of get out of debt sure. a little bit. I guess the average person carries some amount of debt and necessarily so particularly younger people older people kind of get it a little better under control but most people are going to have a mortgage on their home right just kind of part of life an automobile your automobile if you want house if you want a car of course unexpected things that pop up maybe medical expenses or something breaks down you got to put it on the credit card and Uh you have to pay it off so debt is kind of a part of life but not really because you can get to a point where you can pay down your debt, mm-hmm. and then you can start to save and establish a little bit of an emergency fund. Sure. It's kind of like Dave Ramsey talks about a lot. And it amazes me, but Dave is talking about pretty much the same thing my grandfather was talking to me about. There you go. That's it. <laughs> because back at one time, people did not accept debt as just a natural thing at all. Mm-hmm. They saw it as a sort of an evil for be- lack of a better word, they did not want to be in debt. People right. were more debt-averse 100 years ago than they are today. And what happens with debt, of course, is that there's generally some interest involved, which yeah, There's usually to, a lot of interest involved. Yeah, an <laughs> awful lot of that kind of stuff. So it tends to get worse and worse and worse, particularly if you have unsecured debt. For instance, a credit card. Right. If you've got no income available... Because your income's all going out to meet your requirements, such as your mortgage and your car and so on and so forth mm-hmm. as that. Then what happens is when little things come up, you have to necessarily put it on a credit card because you don't have the available cash you might have had otherwise. And when you start doing that and the interest payments hit in, it's just kind of like a never-ending deal. You just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And before you know it, you wake You're, up and find yourself in trouble. Right. And you didn't just get in trouble one day. It kind of came on slowly but surely. Now, the one thing I guess that we can do something about that is the car portion of it, which is a fairly sizable chunk of a lot of people's debt. I've got some friends that they both make pretty good money, and they lease a couple of cars. Okay. In certain circumstances, I can understand it. But I was talking to them over the holidays, and they were talking about how they never have money, and they can't do this, and they can't do that, and they Mm -hmm. like to take a vacation, and blah, 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 blah. And I didn't want to start poking my nose into their business. But right. In the course of the conversation, it came out that they're laying out five to $700 a month to lease cars. Sure. Times two cars. And you're getting absolutely nothing. For that. You, you're virtually renting a car. Well, that's it. I mean, by the time the lease is up, you well, let's back up a little bit. With a lease, mm-hmm. you pay so much a month. Right. You're only allowed so many miles that's right. in that time period. Mm-hmm. And if you go over the amount of mileage that you're allowed, that's an extra cost Per mile. Yeah, basically the worst thing I think that you can do financially speaking. I mean, a car is sort of a losing proposition from the day you buy it to the day you get rid of it anyway. Sure. And 
that's just kind of the nature of cars. But a lot of people say, well, I'm going to lease, and that way I don't have to worry about repairs and da 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 Well, you're paying for every bit of that. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. all included in the price of that lease. The depreciation, well, everything is included in the price of the lease. Most of your leases are, what, three years? Most of them, yeah. Okay, within three years, that car is not going to need a whole lot of maintenance anyway. Right. So by leasing this car, that money you have spent is gone. Right. You have nothing. When the lease is over, you have nothing to show for it. Right. Instead of buying the car outright, when you get done paying the note on the car, then you have you still have the car. That's right. And it's a whole lot cheaper to keep that car going oh, than it is to turn around and go lease another car for and, another and three years. And it's not all that complex complicated and all that complex of a thing a lot of people are scared they say well i just don't understand about car repair and i just don't and i don't know how to do that. i don't want to do okay well that's great but what you're doing is virtually renting a car sure now the other side of the coin is you can go out and buy a new car every three years which is probably just as bad it is because of the fact that you have what they call depreciation and depreciation is the difference i like to say between what the car is actually worth and what you paid for it mm-hmm And the more you paid relative to what the car is worth, the higher the amount of depreciation. And a lot of cars, some of your high-end luxury cars, particularly European luxury cars, you may buy a car that costs $90,000, $80,000, In three years, it may be worth $30,000. Right. So, I mean, you've virtually lost $60,000. It it costs you $60,000 to drive that car three years. That's because it came back down to reality. Uh Uh, I know some of the Porsches and stuff are kind of like that. Sure. buy at one time, you know, 911 Porsche or whatever. Remember all the designations on them. Oh, there's several. You would buy that car, and it would cost you, uh, 928 was was the big V8 model I had. Yes. You could buy that car, and it would cost you upwards of $85,000, and in three years, it was worth about twenty-five dollars to dollars and that's because it came back down to reality. Now, some cars are not that bad, but they still have a sizable amount of depreciation. Sure. For instance, when you buy the average American car, say a Chevrolet or a Ford loaded-up model, you okay. pay $40,000. By the time you put title, license, and what yep. have you on there, $40,000, $45,000. Right. Turn around in three years and try to sell it. Yeah. Guess what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you get 20 back out of it, you're, you're doing, doing great. You're doing pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. So the fact is, it has cost you twenty to $25,000 to drive three years. Exactly. Now, just do the math. Divide that out per month. What's it costing you per month? So what is the alternative? Well, what I like to do is to step in. With me, it's all numbers. Uh-huh. I'm a number kind of guy. Right. I like to step in with a three-year-old car to start with. Sure. In other words, let's let somebody else get Pay beat the, up on this thing. Sure. If, if that's their choice, I don't advocate it. But if that's your choice, you just got to have a new car. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> let's go ahead and buy that car at three years for the twenty thousand dollars. Right. Okay. Now, the first thing, well, yeah, but it's out of warranty, and I'm a cost. You're not ever going to spend. $25,000 on car repairs in three years if everything on that car that could possibly break broke. Exactly. It, and you couldn't do it. A three-year-old car, if they did nothing but change the oil in That's it, right. is not hurt at all. Right. You can get a pre-purchase inspection uh-huh. and rule out most of the big catastrophic things. For instance, this car has been Hit in wrecked, the front. wrecked right. and cut in half and welded back together. Or this car has been flooded or... This car's caught on fire and been reconstructed. Right. I would recommend that on any car you buy. Yeah, and particularly any type of a used car. But if you can walk into a three-year-old car, 
again, it's just numbers. Mm-hmm. You're buying the car for twenty grand, right? Okay, you're buying it for half. less than half price. Now, take some of that savings and realize, hey, this car may break, so sure. I'm going to hold some of this savings that I'm saving on the side mm-hmm. because that's all you're doing with a new car anyway. The cost of those warranty repairs are included in the price of the car. They that's just right. charge you up front. Part of that extra $25,000 you spent was to cover the repairs on the car. Exactly. So you just do the same thing yourself. It's sort of what they call self-insuring. Insuring. Right. You buy a car for about $20,000. Go ahead and hold back three, dollars $4,000 in a savings account, mm-hmm. little interest-bearing account of some sort. Have that money ready. If and when the car breaks, then you go ahead and use that money to fix it. That exactly. way you're not having to go put on credit cards and charge it up, da 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 Now, the other side of the coin is you have to realize when you're in business, you realize that there is a per-use cost of everything that you have. Okay. For instance, I buy a new air compressor, and it costs $10,000. And just to make the math easy, let's say it will cycle 10,000 times before it's worn out. Right. It's a 10,000 cycle life on the thing. That means it's going to cost me roughly a dollar every time it comes on. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't have to go down and stick a dollar in the machine every time it turns on. <laughs> However, it might be convenient if you did right. because you could budget a little bit better. What I have to realize is that when I buy this machine, that's not the end of it. That's only the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Because each and every time I use it, it's starting to wear out. At some point, it will be worn out, and I'm going to have to have the money to replace it. Right. And even the federal government allows you to deduct that from your income tax in the form of depreciation on equipment because they know it's a legitimate business expense. Mm -hmm. It's the same exact thing with your car. When you buy a car, be it new, used, or whatever, one day it is going to be worn out. Sure. So the point between buying it and the point where it's no longer economically feasible to maintain it, each one of those months you have to add some cost in there for the replacement because you know one day you're going to have to do that. And certainly with a new car, that number is going to be way, way higher. We're going to talk some more about that after the break. All right. Hold on. We'll be right back with more. Travel my way. Take the highway. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business, and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. Forty years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Go! Oh, 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really called. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry in the studio live and in person. So that, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, just give us a call. That's right. We'll talk about anything that's automotive related. Right. And that go. phone number is 291-6901. That's correct. And you give us a call. We're glad to try to put you up at the top of the list and help you out if we can. That's it. That's what we're here for this there morning. There you go. And we were talking just a bit about buying cars, more so than buying cars, trying to lower your overall cost, which is the key, the overall cost of ownership. Mm -hmm. 
And again, when you look at things from a business perspective, it's kind of different from where the average person looks at things. When you look at something, you look at life cycle costs. Right. And what that means is, let's say we're comparing two pieces of equipment, and this one costs X, and this one costs X plus 25%, or X plus 40%, or or 2X even. But then we look and we say, okay, this one costs more, but does it have more features? Well, it's easier to install, so it's going to cut installation costs. It has greater durability, so it's going to last longer and the energy consumption on it is lower. So therefore, if I do the numbers, it may be that it is cheaper to pay more for this one than that one. Uh-huh. Again, with our example with the air compressor, you can go down to some of the local place and buy a Chinese knockoff air compressor for probably six, $700. Sure. Or you can buy American-made, brand-name, big compressor that might cost you $5,000. Well, that's quite a bit of difference. Sure. Tenfold difference. However, if you start to look at both of them, what you'll notice is this more expensive compressor has valves. The other one has a little flop plate. It's uh-huh. got a little metal flop thing in there, and it can't be rebuilt. It can't be repaired. Another thing is this one has an oil pump in it. It has bearings in it. It it's has an oil, oil filter, filter on it. Right. So it is clearly designed for a much heavier duty cycle and a much longer service life. Now, how much longer? That's what you have to know to do the math and figure out because some people don't need that. In other words, if you've got a do-it-yourselfer at home, and he's he going to use his compressor once a week, right. once every 10 days. It may last 30 years. Well, and even if it doesn't, it's not mission critical. Correct. Because if his compressor goes out, he's grabbed his ratchet, and it just takes him a little bit longer to do it, And but he can still get the job done. In a shop environment, the air compressor is mission critical. Oh, yeah. When compressor or compressors go down, then yeah, you're, the shop stops. Sure. Because right. a lot of the equipment that you use doesn't work without compressed air because compressed air is the biggest utility you have in a shop. So it's a little different set of circumstances. Sort of kind of the same thing with an automobile. If you primarily take short trips around your neighborhood, then one type of car will work just fine for that. Right. You don't need a $100,000 Porsche to do that in. Right. If you are going to be on the road a lot, then you maybe need a different kind of automobile. Maybe you sure. need something that is going to inherently be more reliable. Maybe you want to go with something a little bit newer. And I understand, for instance, if your daughter lives in Baton Rouge and goes to school in... In Hammond. Yeah, Hammond or, or, New Orleans. or even out of state somewhere. Right. And she's on the road alone. Well, yes, then you want a very dependable car for that type of an application. However, let's say myself, and all I need is a car to go back and forth to work. Right. And because my wife and I both like to have a vehicle for when we do want to, we have two cars. Right. So my vehicle does not really need to be that reliable, although I like a reliable vehicle. It's not so critical for me. Correct. For instance, if I get up in the morning, hit the switch, and it doesn't start, I just jump in my other car and go to work. Sure. Not really going to change my life a whole lot. And since I'm mostly just in town with it, then that's not a big deal. I can drive a 15-year-old truck and think nothing of it. Exactly. Because I don't put that many miles on anyway. But what happens is that when you get the wrong mix, for instance, if you've got a guy who is on the road a lot or a lady who's on the road a lot, she needs a very dependable vehicle, and she has a maybe not-so-dependable vehicle, that's going to be a poor match, clearly. Sure. But by the same token, a person who does not drive a whole lot and – I see this a lot of our customers are elderly, 
and they only put, oh, I don't know, four or 5,000 miles a year. Mm-hmm. Well, they really are not going to be very well served by going buy a brand new car. No, it's going to cost them more to own that vehicle than the use they're going to get out of it. That's right. And it's just sort of that inherent fear of, well, this car is 10 years old. It may break. Da, 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 da. Well, really, if it's been well-maintained, it's probably just as reliable as a new one is. Exactly. Possibly even more Better. so. And what is the worst-case scenario when it breaks? If you've got two cars, you can use the other car. Right. So it's going to be a little inconvenient for a short period of time. Well, and if you're in town and it breaks, yeah. if you do have relatives, I mean, you can call somebody. Friends, relatives. I mean, somebody. You can call a taxi if you have sure. to. Call Uber if you have to. I mean, there are just a number of things. You can rent a car. Any right. one of these things is going to be far, far, far less expensive than going buy a new car. In other words, what you're ending up with is a forty-five to $50,000 solution to a $2,000 problem. problem. Exactly. <laughs> and so you got to analyze your situation, figure out what is better for you. Now, all of that being said, there is a cost of transportation, and it will always be there. Right. Nobody rides for free. If you buy a new car, you can calculate it out in the cost that you paid for the car mm-hmm. and what maintenance it's going to require, which can be fairly low, divide that per month, and that's your cost per month of transportation. What are you going to find with most new cars? That's going to probably be up somewhere around $600 a month, five to $600 a month. Okay. On a lease, you can get it down lower than that. You might get down to three to $400 a month, but again, you're not ever going to, you, you, it's a fixed cost. It'll always stay the same. If you buy a new car and it's higher than that, but then it drops off after the three to five years, when you pay the car off, that cost drops way off. Sure. Now, if you buy a used car and let's say one coming off a lease and we buy it for $20,000, well, again, our initial investment is much less, so our cost per month is much less. Now, the key is there's going to be a period of time there where the car is paid for, it's, it's not, not breaking get... a whole lot, and that's kind of a sweet spot right, right. there. That, that's that where is... you want to be. Exactly. That's what averages everything out between buying where your cost was high and repairing at the end where your cost may be high, but in the center, it slumps way, way down. Now, to keep that range as long as possible, which is the goal, mm-hmm. because how can we extend that range? You have to do maintenance. You have to do the maintenance, and it has to be done not only has to be done, but it has to be done properly. Correct. And that's where selecting the correct shop, or if you can do it yourself, getting the proper information. That is key. The that, proper information is key. You have to key. have that because cars have changed so, so drastically in the last 10 to 15 years. I know I had a gentleman who came in, and his cooling system was absolutely, I mean, this car is what we call Neffer, not uh-huh. economically feasible repair. Because what he had noticed is it was dripping water on the floor of the car, the heater cord eating out. Right. He went and had the heater core replaced. It lasted about three months, and it ate out again. Well, he brings it to us, and he's got electrolysis going on, which is eating the heater core, but it's also eating up the radiator. It's also eating up the intake gear. It's virtually eating the entire car up. And he says, well, how could this possibly have happened? And I said, well, have you changed the coolant? Said, yeah, I changed it myself. Every uh-huh. da, da, da. Well, tell me how you change it. Well, I take yeah, duh. I, <laughs> I use city water and yeah, he, don't mix it right. Well, and, that's right. And although he thought he was doing the right thing, mm-hmm. he was creating a bigger issue because he was going to Walmart buying some coolant, which wasn't really the proper coolant for the car, dumping it into the car, dumping some city water on top of it, leaving a lot of the old contaminated coolant in. He was virtually making the problem worse. And may not have been getting all the air out of the system. Well, 
which still retaining air in the system. Right. Not only that, but when the system started to leak, the first thing he did is he goes and starts putting water in it. Sure. Well, that's further diluting the improperly mixed coolant, which does not have the proper corrosion protection. So he'd virtually eaten the car away, and it was to the point where he really had to get another car. Mm-hmm. So his cost per month just went sky high. Sure. Because now you have a premature failure. So my point is just doing maintenance is not necessarily good or bad. It has to be proper maintenance. has to be properly done. So you have to have a whole lot of information before you can jump in there and just start doing things. Right. Let's go to our phone lines with Al. Good morning, Al. Good morning. Happy New Year to you both. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Got a 95 Cadillac, and you know it's only when you the, the lid closes when you push the lid yes, down sir. and the little screw catches and pulls it down tight. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That quit working, so I took the my key and I opened the trunk with my key. Right. And then when I went back to close my trunk, it seemed like a little screw thing went up instead of down. Yes, and now doing, mm-hmm. So now I'm hooked on there where I'm working <laughs> with the key, and my trunk is it, it's not closed yes. all the way. Mm-hmm. It's not right. pulled down all the way. Now, is there any? It seems to me like this sucker could be expensive to fix. Is there it any way to? Can um, be. They yes, are. Sir, they're pretty expensive because there's a couple of gizmos in there that are pretty pricey. Yeah, we can take it apart run it all the way down for you, and then fix it and take the wire off, and then it'll just operate like a normal trunk that you have to slam every time. That's what I was wondering. Mm-hmm. Right. It can... It's not terribly difficult. Probably a half hour to 45 minutes to take it apart, and you have to take the motor out of it, run it down manually, and put the motor back in and unplug it. Uh-huh. We, do, we do that on quite a few of them. It, just because oh, yeah? of the cost of repairs is pretty high. I think a little retractor is probably four to $500, yeah. and then there's a couple of switches and stuff. Plus the, the labor to, to put yeah, it to in. replace it and all that. So it was not, I guess it was an okay feature. I mean, it was supposed to be to make it where you didn't have to slam the trunk. You just push it down, it pulled down. Like most of the stuff they put on cars, you know, it's, it's nice when it works, but when it breaks, it's just not hardly worth fixing. Fortunately, on an older car like that, you can override it a lot of time. And most of the new stuff, when something like that breaks, it's got to be fixed. You know, it's, oh, it's tied oh, yeah. into the system, and that's it. And if it doesn't, you have dash lights and everything else on. So. Well, it's kind of any way that it could be just electrical. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's got a switch in it, and it's got a couple of little gizmos. As long as the motor and retractor are not stripped out or bad, then, yeah, it, it may be able to be repaired back to its working condition for not too, too much. Uh, there's a little module that makes it work, obviously. Where is that located? Well, it, it doesn't have a no. module. It's all self-contained. It's oh, got yeah. a switch. If you look where the striker bolt goes down, there's a little switch in there that contacts. Uh-huh. Also, it makes electrical contact when those two pieces of metal touch. And there's a little motor. It's got to cut out. It's, it's got a little module, but it's part of the, of the unit. It's all part of the retractor assembly. Mm-hmm. There's nothing separate from the retractor assembly. Yeah. Okay. You all answered right. my question. It doesn't uh, exactly make me happy, but you answered <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want part of the automotive we would absolutely love to have you. We're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> ho, 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 Lewis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. 
See calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. If you just join us, we're talking a little bit about lowering your cost of owning a vehicle and stuff such as that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we will take any questions you might have. Just go ahead and give us calls, 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. So, And go. we still have plenty oh, of time to answer questions. Time to get your questions answered for you. We were talking to Al just a second ago, and that kind of brings up the third topic that I want to talk about, and that is the technology on newer cars. And, of course, his car is not that new. It's a 95, 95 right. But as we get further and further out, when you start getting up into the 2006, 2007, and later model cars, then that's about time the major car companies, were all, the domestic car companies, were all going bankrupt. Right. And they kind of quit paying their vendors, and a lot of their vendors went bankrupt, and they went offshore and bought a lot of parts and components and started sticking on them. We just noticed that those cars tend to give more problems and they're they more expensive to repair. Now, that being said, when you're talking about buying a used car, you got to remember the last of the what I consider simple or well-built cars are probably nine years old. Sure. Sure. So those cars are quickly going away. Right. And they will be completely gone before too much longer, or virtually gone, I guess you should say. Yeah, they're getting scooped up pretty quick. They are. And so this creates a whole nother quandary in that the cars you buy today are not probably going to be able to be kept as As long long as they were in the past. I know back, from the mid-90s up to the mid-2000s. They built, I think, some of the best cars they ever built. Sure. They were reliable. They were simple. Mm -hmm. I say simple. Simple in the fact that what you're dealing with today. Compared, apparently speaking. But those cars could relatively easily be kept for 250,000 miles. Mm -hmm. And with just a little care, 300 or more thousand miles. Right. Now, that's not so much going to be the case with the newer stuff that you're buying today simply because the cost of the components, the cost of repairing the technology that is integrated into this car is so high that you're going to virtually total the car at some point. Things like this little pull-down motor on Al's car, he was talking about a little Cadillac. Well, worst-case scenario, if you had to buy the retractor assembly, it's maybe $500. If you can get by with a switch or maybe some wiring work, you might be a couple of hundred dollars. Worst case, you could probably take it apart Manually run the manually motor. Manually run it down and set it and then for probably it. less than $100. And exactly. at least you got a trunk that closes. Now, let's advance forward, and instead of a 95, Who's let's say we've got a 2005. Okay. Well, now what that's got is a retractor that is integrated into the lid. It pulls the lid down. You don't slam it yourself. Mm-hmm. When it gets all the way down, another device locks Catches it, it, pulls locks. it down, and all that sort of stuff, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. Because you can get your little boat and yeah. raise itself <laughs> up and all that. But yep. when that breaks, that's probably a $3,000 assembly or assemblage of components. Uh-huh. And it may be that it's straight up in the air and you can't close it. And it is going to be that you're not going to be able to bypass it. Because right. it's generally tied into the anti-theft system. It's tied into, into all kinds of other things. Into well, the network. Had a Lexus come in just before we went on Christmas break, and his pull-down assembly had gone bad. Right. Well, 
seven hundred and something dollars for the part. Just for the part. Just for the part. Another hour to put it in, it has to be programmed. Well, can't you just take it out? Absolutely nope. not. It's got to be in there. Because if it's not in there, the alarm system's going to shut the car down. Right. It, it looks out on that network, and if it doesn't see all its components, right. it assumes something's wrong, and the first thing it's going to do is shut that ignition system down. That's right. Down. And this is not an analog 12-volt system where you can tie two wires together and fool it. Exactly. This is a computer module producing a sine wave, which is sent to the body control module. Which that it is has to accept. Right. So, no, sir, there is no way to get around that So other than spend $900 to get your trunk to close again. Yeah. So the point is, and that is a relatively inexpensive one by comparison to some. Sure. Some of your SUVs, I know I see the Suburbans and all come in all the time. They have the automatic door opener right. in the back. You right. push your little button, and it just goes up by itself. Really, really cool. You push it again, it, it comes retracts back down. back down by itself. I mean, really, really nice stuff. Very, very cool. you got your arms full of groceries. You can just... Some of them you can just kind of wave your foot under the bumper right. and stuff, and it'll sense that you're there and blah, 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 blah. But that stuff is going to break, and when it does, it is going to be extremely expensive to repair. Now, other types of things are, for instance, the transmissions in cars today. Most cars built back in the mid-2000s and back had a four-speed transmission in them. Four-speed automatic. Four-speed automatic uh-huh. with overdrive. And... A rebuild, when it was necessary, was somewhere between two and $3,000. Right. You could pretty much rebuild it and probably drive another $200,000. Well, and not only rebuilding it, you could make it better than it was built well, before. that's right. So it was, it's predicted to last a lot longer now because it's been rebuilt to a higher standard. That's right. But what we've got today, rather than a four-speed transmission, we've got six, eight, eight in some cases, maybe even 10-speed automatics, right. automatic transmissions. So the cost of repairing that technology, even though you maybe didn't even realize it was in there, you just get in the car, start it, and drive, and it shifts, and you don't realize all the things that are going on. Mm -hmm. I know Ford's got a dual input shaft transmission, and it virtually is in two gears at one time because it's got two input shafts, and it switches between the two, and it's kind of like a manual. Well, that's great. That's wonderful technology, except that nobody can fix it, including them. Yeah. <laughs> so when it breaks, it's, well, it's going to be $7,000 for another transmission and $2,000 to put it in and program it. Right. So Ten grand on an eight-year-old car. That's right. You pretty much ended up totaling the car. The same thing with the CVTs, the constantly variable transmissions. Uh-huh. Many of those just don't have serviceable parts in them because by the time they do finally fail, which is anywhere between 90 and 140,000, 150,000 miles, it looks like a grenade went off. Oh, yeah. There's just nothing there to fix. So these are the kinds of challenges that we have. Now, add to the mix that people today are not quite, I think, as well off as they were maybe a few years back. Okay. Don't have quite as much disposable income. So not as many people are trading their cars, good cars. Right. I mean, at one time, it was pretty common to see a guy trade every three years. Oh, yeah. If he was a fairly affluent guy and he just liked new cars, he might go trade a perfectly good car every three years. Still happens. just doesn't happen quite as much anymore. And so the number of used cars on the market is now lower. So what the point is, it's not that that is not still a good strategy. It's just that you got to do a lot more checking up front to make sure you're not buying someone else's problems. Right. Because problems today are not going to be small problems. They're going to be big, big, big problems. And number two, the maintenance that we do on the car is there's less things required, but the things that are required are very, very much have to be done a certain way. And a certain time. And a certain time. And if they're not, then the results are going to be pretty catastrophic for you. 
we alluded in the last section a little bit to coolant because that's one of the common things that we see. Yeah, it tends to do a lot of damage. It does an awful lot of damage. Another thing is oil changes. And I know we've harped over and over again about the extended oil changes and why mm-hmm. we disagree with that. But another thing is uh, many of the newer cars have timing chains on them. They don't have timing belts like right. they used to. And so when they tell you this car requires synthetic oil, that is not a suggestion. No. It That's requires not, it. Well, you can do this and it's going to be better. No, you have to put that in there. Exactly. Because all these expensive components in this timing chain, all these little links that are now lubricated, which with a timing belt, they weren't lubricated. Right. It didn't matter. If you went a little long on your oil chain, you weren't going to hurt a whole lot. But now one of the biggest repairs we get in is that cars will come in, they're rattling when you crank them up in the morning, or they got a camshaft position code. The timing chain is either stretched. Or the guides are broke. Guides are broken. The or, tensioner's gone bad. That's right. And where all this came from is that the wrong oil was put into the car. Or it wasn't changed in the right interval. Or it wasn't changed often enough. Now, that can happen if you change your own oil and you just got a certain oil that you've been used. Uh-huh. So you keep putting You don't realize this car has changed. This car is different. This right. is not... For instance, if we've got a Toyota with a 3.5 liter and we had one before with a 3 liter, we always put 5W30 in it, and it lasted 300,000 miles. Yeah, it's not going to happen on this one. Different beast. Yeah, this one calls for 0W20, fully synthetic. Totally redesigned engine. Right. The only thing that's going to meet those specifications is Is going to be that type of oil. Mm -hmm. Don't put it in there, crank it up, you hear that rattling noise. Well, that's about a $4,000 rattle noise you hear you just brought on yourself. Another thing, unfortunately, is that many, many, many of the guys out there doing oil changes, and I'm not going to pick on anybody or any industry, but there's lots of places that do oil changes who just aren't that picky about what kind of oil they put in your car. That's right. They may be putting 5W30 regular oil. I see that all the time. And, again, I'm not going to bring anybody's name up, but they go to some of these big national chains or maybe even I see someone come from a dealership. Right. The wrong, the wrong oil. oil in the car. General Motors, I think, back in 2011, went to Dexos right. on their cars. Dexos is not a oil. It is a standard of all has to meet. And the main reason of that is to protect those timing chains. They have to have this specific oil that will meet these requirements. Now, if you put a non-Dexos-approved oil in the car, you may very well end up with a problem. And they're not going to warranty any You're not going to warranty if you put the wrong oil in it because you're going to have to produce some site of documentation that the oil was changed when they said it had to be changed. And with and what? With the proper type of oil. Mm-hmm. If not, you may very well void your warranty, and you can say that's cold and cruel and unfair, but that is the that's fact the way of life. That's the way it was designed, and that's what they told you to put in it. That's the car you bought, and, I mean, they kind of went to the level of putting on the cap and putting it in the owner's manual and all that. Yeah. But I can't tell you how many quick change places don't even have Dexos in stock. Right. So if you go there with your your General Motors product, you're not necessarily getting the proper oil. At the very least, you need to supply your own oil. Yeah. and The correct oil. The correct oil. So, again, just doing maintenance is not enough. It has to be properly done maintenance. And that means you either have to find the right shop that's going to do it right the first time, every time, or you have to educate yourself to the point you know and you can do some of that yourself. Right. Let's go back to our phone lines with Stephen. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, good morning, and good morning. Uh, happy new year to both Thank of you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I was calling, uh, we have a 2009 Volkswagen Beetle, uh-huh. and we enjoy it, but I was wondering if there were some things we could do to make it have a smoother ride, either upgrades or 
are just things that you could advise us to do. Does it yeah. ride worse than it used to ride, or has it always ridden? Not um, like you won't. Maybe uh, I can't answer that, Lewis. Uh, maybe always. Mm-hmm. You know, if it, generally, if, if it's always ridden unsatisfactorily, then unless you just bought it recently, if it's been for years and years and years like that, that's probably pretty much the way the car is going to ride. It's not going to be a whole lot you're going to do to improve it. It's just inherent in the design. In fact, if you go to my website and type in poor ride or just the word ride, R-I-D-E, I've got an article on this very topic. There's very, very little that you can do to change the ride of a car that's designed in. Now, if it rode good at one time and it started to ride harshly, then something's gone wrong and you can go in and find what's wrong and you can certainly correct that. And a lot of things get kind of misdiagnosed for a harsh ride. For instance, one thing, we, I forgot what kind of car it was, but there was a Chrysler product. People would bring them in all the time and my car rides horrible. Every time I hit a bump, it just bottoms out. And when you go drive the car, what was wrong is the engine mounts would break. And when you would hit a bump, the engine would pick up and slam down. And it would make this loud bang, which it did sound like suspension was bottoming out, but Technically, it wasn't. They had put new struts on right. it. They had put new tires. They did spent an inordinate amount of money trying to fix the problem and still had it. So the point is you got to get a proper diagnosis of what is going on. Make sure you're into a ride situation. Now, all of that being said, I can tell you, Stephen, the absolute biggest bang for the buck when it comes to ride okay, by a wide, wide margin is going to be the tires, the type of tire that's on the car. And it's not just enough to buy a high-end tire. You have to buy the proper tire that's going to ride because you may buy a tire that costs $300 each, but if it's designed for performance, it's not going to ride very well. Mm-hmm. And if the car requires a speed-rated performance tire, then that's what has to go back on it. But if it doesn't, there may be a better riding tire that you can get that's going to make big, big, big difference. I mean, you could go in and start changing shocks and struts and springs and yah, 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 but you're going to spend a fortune and you're not going to change the ride appreciably. The tires, by far, is going to be the biggest thing. Okay, so, Lewis, is this something I could bring in to you guys and you could assess that? You well, could... we don't service European cars at all, uh, uh, Steve. Okay. We're, we're strictly right. domestic okay. and Asian, but, yeah, most any good quality shop that works on European cars should be able to assess that for you. And... I would look, and again, don't give me brand names or anything, but look at the type of tire you got on it. Make sure the tires are round because out-of-round tires, particularly on lower-end tires, is very, very, very common. We see that a lot. really makes the car ride really bad. Another thing, some tires are just not good riding tires. They just, they're designed more performance. You may have a set of performance tires on it that someone put on over the years. These are the kind of things that I would look at. Beyond that, the cost of trying to upgrade the ride is probably the fix is going to probably be worse than the problem. Yeah, yes. I mean, this is not terrible. It's mm-hmm. just that I needed the information that you just gave me. Like, right. what are some big things I could do to improve it? And uh, So I will go that tire route, you know, look into it. I'll right, look that into that and go to the website and just type in the word ride in the search right. bar and see. It's got a lot of other ideas in there that'll help. And then the other things could be that it, maybe it needs new shocks. It could be the shocks are worn out. It could be the shock. But, again, that would be if it rode good at one time and then got worse over the period. And that might be the case, you know, Mm because I'm not a... Just not aware of it. 
Yeah, just not see, really you can get keen a, square. You can get a shock or strut that can seize up. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it will ride like an absolute wagon. It just The hydraulic fluid leaks around the seal, and it gets on both sides, so the strut really locks up. And you can easily detect that just by going press down on all four corners of the car one at a time. Okay. Just, just push. Right. It should go down. It should pop back up on its own. It shouldn't bounce a whole lot of times. But if you can't push down on one corner or one corner is a lot harder to push down, then you're probably into a seized-up shock absorber or something like that. That will definitely harshen the ride up considerably. Okay. So, um, all right. Well, all right. that's very helpful. All right, Steven. Uh, once again, thanks. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take one last little break, and we will be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and, man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but... I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we still have just a few more minutes to get those questions answered for That's you. That's right. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We were talking just a little bit about maintenance and, and doing maintenance properly. And there are some myths when it comes to maintenance. Sure. And a lot of times I find people waste money on stuff that is not necessary and then don't do the maintenance that is necessary Mm -hmm. and some of the stuff that's out for instance all the flushes and all that that a lot of the shops will push on you for instance injector flush or transmission flush or whatever they actually call it maintenance yeah it's just a way for them to attach a little machine to your car walk off and do something else and charge you because they don't have the type of guys there who probably know how to do the maintenance right anyway and that's just my opinion but the point is you can spend a whole lot of money that does you absolutely no good and then if you neglect the things that you truly need because the kind of shops that are going to sell you the fuel injection flush and transmission flush now it's probably the same guys who put the wrong oil in the engine exactly and he's gonna mix the coolant in properly and put the wrong coolant in the engine right so the point is he is giving you a double whammy not only is he ripping you off on junk you don't need he's not doing the stuff you do need properly Properly. and we get cars in from time to time where someone has spent a lot of money trying to maintain it and Mm -hmm. yet the car is in deplorable shape right they'll bring it in for a general inspection we'll check it and we'll tell them wow yeah you need need, and they're like well why you know because i've always maintained my car and they'll bring out their service record and you can see they have spent a huge amount of money on stuff they didn't need. On stuff they did not need. And the stuff that was supposed to be done was never done or was not done properly. Mm-hmm. Another thing that 
comes into that little realm is like front end alignments. Right. A lot of people will try to tell you that an alignment is maintenance, that you need an alignment once a year or no. whatever. That's, that's not so. No, you do not need an alignment once a year. You need an alignment when you have a issue. That's right. Say it's, it's, it's a repair. It's not right. maintenance at all. Right. So you got it's pulling one way or the steering wheel's not center anymore. See, when, we, when alignment leaves ECHO, we like to center the steering wheel. Correct. That way we know, and the customer knows, if the steering wheel gets off center, then something's, something's wrong. Changed. Something's changed and uh, needs it, to be checked. And that's one of the dead giveaways. If your steering wheel is sitting right there at 12 o'clock, and then all of a sudden you get in one day and it's sitting over at 1 o'clock, something has changed. changed. Something moved. Either something has bent, worn out, slipped, or whatever. And that's one of the dead giveaways that you have an alignment issue. Mm-hmm. When that steering wheel moves relative to where it was before. Right. And you always hear, well, I hit a pothole and knocked it out of alignment. Well, that just doesn't really happen. You're not going to knock a car out of alignment unless you hit it hard enough to physically bend something, bend something right. or damage something. Most potholes are not going to do that. Mm-hmm. You're not going to knock the car out of alignment. I know we, most of our customers come in, we align the car, maybe put a set of tires on it. And next time you need a set of tires, five, six years later, we may recheck the alignment. A lot of times it doesn't even need it then. Well, a new set of tires, I like to at least look at the at old least tires. Check it. Well, I like to look mm-hmm. at the old tires mm-hmm. because you can tell a lot from an older tire that's on a vehicle. That's right. You can tell from the way if, it wore if it needs to be aligned or not. I do like to check it because sometimes you can touch the toe up a little bit on them. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it takes 20, 30 minutes. Right. It's not something that's going to be necessary in every case. And spending money for an alignment once a year is just throwing your money away. Right. It's a waste of money. But, Worse than that, the kind of guy who is going to advocate that is probably not a guy who could align it. <laughs> exactly. No let's matter just, what. Let's just, well, it's all in the green. Yeah. I hear that every day. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's still pulling, but it's all in the green. Now, another issue is balancing your tires. Again, mm-hmm. that is not something that needs to routinely be done. If a weight comes off or you have to take the tire off the rim, right? Then you have, to- you have to rebalance the tire. But under normal conditions, a tire is turning – it's wearing evenly around its periphery, so it's sort of like being a lathe. You're taking material off of it. It's not going to lose balance if it were balanced right to start with. If the right weights were put on if they in stay the right on. position, well, the right weights are going to stay on. Exactly. <laughs> and there are probably, geez, I don't know, what, 20 different kind of wheel weights? We've got a whole bin, must be six foot tall, yeah, full of wheel weights. Full of different styles of wheel weights, not only different sizes, but different styles. And that will guarantee that you get the proper weight on the car that's going to stay on the car because the car came with weights that stayed on Mm -hmm. but then you go in and maybe this guy's only got two or three different kind of weights and he doesn't have one to fit your car so he pounds one on that does not fit properly well now it slings off and the tire is out of balance right so you just wasted your money trying to get it back well you go back and you rebalance the tire and again that's where this thing about you got to keep rebalancing your tires comes from they're Uh not being balanced properly to start with a tire that is properly balanced is going to stay balanced. It's not going to get out of balance. Properly, so, again, that's not maintenance. Properly mounted mm-hmm. and properly balanced. That's correct. There's a key there, mm-hmm. the mounting of the tire. If it's not mounted correctly, then when it does settle down on the rim, right, it will be out of balance. That's right. It may change on you. Another thing is these transmission flushes as opposed to a proper service. Proper service is where you remove the pan, replace the filter if it has a replaceable filter, replace the fluid, all these types of things. A flush is where you just hook a little machine to it and run some clean fluid through a dirty transmission. Right. And those are highly touted 
because they are highly profitable. They are, and most of you big manufacturers have come out with a, a technical service bulletin that says do not right. flush our units. I know General Motors, I was proud of them. They finally came out with a bulletin to their dealers to tell them quit doing this. Right, and you're, you're tearing transmissions up. Right, you're not doing any good. That is not maintenance. That is not what we mean by maintenance. That right. is, you're not doing good, and you can potentially do harm. Sure. Because you are stirring up the trash and debris that is in the pan, and you can further restrict the filter, which you've not replaced. Exactly. Once the filter restricts, then you're going to be into a transmission issue. So you're spending money to make the issue worse. Right. So that's just about all we got to say <laughs> about that today. i got to start winding on up about how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this morning. And tell your friends and go to your favorite rebroadcast service. And if they have a place for a written rating, please fill it out for us. They go give us a written review. That'll move us up in the rankings. And we're going to get on out of here. Tell everybody how much. Appreciate them listening. Appreciate them opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.